This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 4, Episode 12, Writing Epics. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. All right. And before we start, we do want to give a sort of hurrah because Dan's book comes out this week. I am not a serial killer. It does indeed. On the 30th of March. Yep. So, uh, And we're recording this in advance so that Dan can be on book tour in sunny London, England. Yep. Mm -hmm. So anyway, go to fearfulcemetery.com. Net. That is com. correct. Or I am not a serial killer.com. And you can find out all sorts of cool stuff about his awesome book. And the book tour. And so on the day that um, we're talking about Dan's book, we are going to actually also talk about a topic which is the opposite of Dan's book, which is epic. <laughs> um, Howard and I write epic stories. Believe it or not, Schlock yep. Mercenary is an epic. Schlock Mercenary is, is a fantastic epic. And so I want to talk about the ins and outs of writing epics, what follies. Um, do you want to watch out for? How do you do it well? That sort of thing. So let's let's try and get a workable de- definition for us for an epic. Can I just say epic does not mean big? Okay. But go ahead. Go with that. What do you mean? <laughs> epic, epic doesn't just mean big. I We've suppose, taken yeah. to using the word epic colloquially to mean just, you know, large, yeah. uh, glorious, magnificent, you know, mm-hmm. epic fail, epic win. Okay. Yeah, the word is starting to lose some of its its power, some particularly of its the the, the <laughs> literary definition. Well, we're seeing we're seeing the we're seeing the definition change in the same way that yeah. we saw the definition for antihero right. change. But yeah. epic, in a classical sense, talks about or or means a structure in which uh, a certain cycle is. In large right. measure, adhered to. You, you can you can stray from it, obviously, but uh, there are elements that need to be present. Right um, now, I'm not sure if we want to talk about that type of epic or if we want to talk about the the epic fantasy style epic. What Tolkien was writing, we would I would I would term an epic. Absolutely. I don't know if it's going to fit all of the ancient Greek definitions for an epic poem. Mm. No, um, it's not. But uh, I'm okay with that. Okay. So, um, what what defines an epic to us? Um, scope, okay. I think, is, is the first thing that has to be present. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, if I'm going to just try and get my mind around, I'm going to look at a, a non-epic fantasy, so a heroic fantasy or something like that, and compare it to the epic fantasy and say, what are these two things doing differently? Um, for me, one of the big factors in an epic, particularly when we talk about fantasy or science fiction, um, is the, the immersion factor. Definitely. Uh, the, and, and that might be the defining characteristic of the difference between an epic and a non-epic for our genre's definition. So how immersed you can become right. mm-hmm. in the work. Right. Or how, how immersed you are required to become exactly. in order to appreciate the work. Yeah. It, it, it seems like a lot of, you know, you take a, a heroic fantasy versus an epic fantasy. The heroic fantasy could tell that same story from the epic in half the time or less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the epic... The reason that, that it's epic is because it slows down and takes, you know, it, it takes the time to fill in the world and describe so much more right. about it and what it's like to be there and everything. It's not just moving really quick from plot point to plot <laughs> There point. are definitely aspects of that that I don't do. Well, it but, depends but on, that's, you know. It's okay. I'm, I'm not... No, I, I look at my own books and look at the Mistborn trilogy and say one book is not epic and two are. Even though we classify them all as epic fantasy, um, the point of the first book was not 
to be epic, the point of the first book was kind of go against the concepts of the epic, is, is be yeah. quick and fast-paced and do this. And then the second two books, the point was to expand and build the world into an epic fantasy theme. So I would say if you're trying to write for this epic fantasy market, or um, there are plenty of epic science fiction type of stories, and I think Schlock does a good job of it, in the epic fantasy, the culture, the world, the setting is as important in some ways as the plot and characters. Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite uh, epic science fiction cycles is uh, David Brin's Uplift okay. series. Uh, there were three novels that he called the Uplift novels, mm -hmm. but I think there are six novels, maybe seven, that, uh, that fit in the uplift cycle. And yes, when you put it all together, mm -hmm. I say before you put it all together, you look at one of the books and you think, wow, this is a neat setting he's created. And this is a fun little story he's telling about these people. When you pull back, you are looking at the tale of humanity's coming of age. Right. And, and it can't be told in one book. Right. Well, and you're, you're getting into that other thing that you mentioned before, um, scope. I would say that Foundation is incredibly epic. But yep. Foundation is not necessarily about immersion. And so immersion isn't the only mm -hmm. aspect of it. How, how, do we, how do you do this, though? What scope? How do you step down and intentionally say, I'm going to write something that has epic scope? You have to set your sights really high. Okay. You have to know what you're doing beforehand. Um, you know, you talked about how the... the, the <laughs> Unless the, you're me. The first Mistborn... Um, what was was not you know by your definition epic but then the later ones were even though you say that i know that you knew where right. the series was going when you started yeah you i knew planned it as an epic the final stuff of the final book before you even started writing the first one and i think that having that in mind is not necessarily requisite but goes a long way toward giving you that sense of scope. You know that you're telling a big story right off the bat. Right. When, um, when I read the first part of Foundation, and I realized this story was going to be about the coming of a second empire in thousands of years as set up by this, very, this genius who had set things in place so that it would happen, um, I realized, oh, I'm reading a very different kind of story. Yeah. Um, epics, I would also say that if you're, you're approaching epics, we do... We do tend to deal with larger-than-life issues, um, and that's that's. I, I would say your conflict, in a lot of ways, can drive what your story is, and this is why I think it's so important to understand and define your conflict. If your conflict is, you know, a guy and his father dealing with their personal issues, and that's the primary sole conflict of your story, then that's not an epic. And remember, mm -hmm. we're using epic not in the way that the internet is, that epic <laughs> equals cool. Yeah. We're meaning epic is a type of story, and it does not mean that one type of story is better than another. Right. Yeah. And in, in fact, if you do this wrong and say, I want to write an epic, and then, then for instance, um, a, an excellent example of this is was Ang Lee's Hulk movie. Mm, um, yes. In which he tried to make it feel like an epic, but which the conflict did not match an epic story. The conflict very was small, a father-son. personal yes. thing. Yes, and that small father-son story could have been wonderful, could have been an amazing story, and yet he decided he wanted to, to pair it with, we're going to call this an epic, and the movie was a disaster, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's one of those terrible disasters where so many pieces of it are brilliant, and they don't play with each other very it, at all, and you have a train wreck. Yeah. Um, so I remember years and years ago when uh, Brandon and I were first starting our writing group, long before we were published. Um, 
he would, Brandon, you would write uh, book after book that were all wonderful and they mm -hmm. were all epic fantasies, but they had these much more personal yeah. conflicts. And that became almost the motto of our writing group was, you know, the fabric of the universe has to be at peril. You know, my, when Joshua rejected um, White Sand, which was a very well-written book I had done before I got published, mm -hmm. one of the best, he said to me, the story doesn't match the scope, Brandon. So either you need to cut 50,000 words or you need a scope for this novel that matches it. And that's actually the, the thing that I learned. I, I learned so much from him saying that to me. That's not to say it's impossible to pull off. Um, if we look at, for instance, um, another Ang Lee masterpiece, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, it does feel epic. Yeah. And he mm -hmm. was able to match it. And in that case, um, we are looking at the entire lifetime of a hero uh, as several heroes, and we are seeing how they, have, you know, who they are with this entire lifetime, and we're looking at lots of different relationships. And mm -hmm. everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're going to pause shag, for an, Yeah, let, yeah, let me shag straight Wait, into... Uh, Howard? Why don't we do um, the, the Uplift Trilogy? They have them on Audible. Oh, okay. Um, the Uplift you, you promo those for us since you talked about them. Okay, yeah, that's fine. The, the Uplift Trilogy by David Brin and, and see... Now, now you're going to have to help me out with the, the titles. Uh, Brightness Reef is the first. Brightness Reef. Infinity Shore is the second. And Heaven's Reach is the third. Okay. Um, yeah, these books by David Brin, uh, I have to confess, have been uh, quite an influence on the Schlock Mercenary universe. The, uh, the fundamental principle here is that humanity, before meeting the Galactics, started uplifting or you know, genetically modifying uh, creatures here on Earth to be as intelligent as humans. They were uplifting chimpanzees, they were uplifting dolphins, uh, things that already had the cranial mm. capacity to be, you know, at, at some future point, co-equal with us as uh, savants on Earth. And then we get discovered by the galactics who have a long tradition of finding species and uplifting them to intelligence. And they discover humanity and they're like, oh, you don't have a patron yet. You haven't been uplifted. We need to, oh, wait, you're already uplifting chimpanzees. Well, I guess we need to accept you as equals, but we'd really rather not. Huh. And, and so there's your conflict. Huh. Humanity is a junior race, a wolfling race, and the galactics, um, they don't like us, but they kind of have to accept us. Uh, and th okay. those books are wonderful, and each of the books has a, has a different story, you know, tells a, a different aspect of it. And they're all worth reading. Uh, Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Yep. Um, download one for free. Um, all right. Another aspect of the, the epic. And again, I want to make sure that we are giving advice. Let's tell people how to do this. Um, is the multiple narratives and multiple storylines, which I think mm -hmm. is what makes Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon work so well as an epic. Lots of different people, lots of different things going on. Yeah, you, need to take, you need to take the advice that we gave on side characters, the advice mm -hmm. we gave on subplots. You need to take that to heart and be prepared to embed those things. Mm -hmm. Because if it's just, 
one plot and one character, yeah. it it does not feel, it, you know, it doesn't have the doesn't scope. It feel epic. Should we do a podcast and Can of Worms it on um, juggling multiple storylines? Okay, sure. Yeah, sure. Maybe Let's we should. Maybe we haven't we thrown that. a can of worms out there in forever. Yeah. All right, People we'll throw a can of worms that. at that one, juggling multiple storylines. All right, so advice. Howard, you have written the longest epic of any of us. <laughs> it, by spine count, yes. By spine count, but you know, you've got, uh, you've got counts the fate of the galaxy in jeopardy. You've got dozens of different viewpoint characters. You've got their past and their, their yeah. Let you, me tell you what I started with. Mm-hmm. I started with characters and small stories that were interesting and as i started fleshing that out i started looking for the bigger conflicts okay i started painting the pictures that were you know, i started developing the backstory and the universe and this is this is completely backwards to the mm-hmm. way you do things yeah uh, it's not is, outlining it's this backwards writing. the way but it, it kind of shows that you can free write yeah. an epic if you know if, if, if you're very careful about it yeah oh and mm-hmm. if i had it if i had the ability to go back and edit mm-hmm. uh and and rewrite some of that beginning stuff yeah. um i could tighten it up a lot and and have a lot of fun with it um, um, my my big advice to new writers wanting to do epics is to start a little smaller than you think you need to yeah would be my mm-hmm. suggestion if we if i look at the grand epics of the fantasy genre. If we look at Lord of the Rings, um, if we look at The Wheel of Time, uh, if we, we look at most of them, you're going to find that they do start very personally. And then the, the, what's distinctifying them from the heroic is that they, by the end, have expanded enormously. Rather than having a plot that starts small, gets a little bit bigger, and then ends with that wrapping up, you start small, get bigger and bigger and bigger, and by the end, you have wrapped up some things, but then said, wow, I have, mm-hmm. have no clue what I was getting into. In my case, that shape, that mm-hmm. story shape, was dictated by me cutting my teeth, my storytelling teeth, on small, small stories, and once I got good at them, realizing, uh-huh. you know, I can tell a bigger story. I can tell a bigger story. Mm-hmm. I, and I kept telling myself, I can tell a bigger story uh, until I hit the point that well, I was ready to. That, that's a smart way to do it, too, because I, I see this a lot with people that ask me for writing advice. And it, the, one of the biggest problems, this was absolutely my problem when I first started writing, is that my eyes were just way too big for mm-hmm. my talent at the time. You know, this is where we talk about world builder's disease. This is often where it comes in. Right. People want to build this enormous world and tell this enormous story because they love Robert Jordan or because they love Tolkien. And it's very, very hard to do that straight out of the gate. You need to start smaller and and know what you're doing first. One of my big um, failings, and we'll talk about this in another podcast, was trying too many storylines at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at what George Martin was doing, and I, I thought, man, this guy's brilliant. Um, he's able to do two dozen storylines in the course of one novel. Maybe I can do two dozen storylines in the course of one novel. And my skill wasn't up to it yet. Um, and the, the story became something of a train wreck because I wasn't good at juggling plot lines, reminding people what was going on and cutting back and forth in the right way. And so people kept losing You were trying to tackle a 12 ball juggle before you'd learned the three ball cascade. Yes, exactly. And Mm -hmm. the the thing I I want to emphasize to our listeners is, and I think I've, I've talked about this before, there's nothing wrong with starting small and doing it well. The readers who read your books are, are looking for an enjoyment factor. They are looking to read this book and say, wow, that was a great book. And 
they would rather read a story that, that, that starts small and then starts to get bigger, that they get to the end of and say, wow, that was a great book, than pick up one that they say, wow, this felt like it had all this epic scope, but the book was a disaster. Um, if you can tackle something smaller and do it fantastically, no one's going to read that book and say, gee, I wish they had done 50 storylines instead of three. They're going to say, wow, that was a great book. Um, and so matching your story to your current skill level is just fine. Um, it's only one way to approach it. It's not necessarily... Yeah, I'd, no. I'd also yeah. say, you know, there, there are those of you out there who want to write the epic now. Yeah. You know what? Go for it. And if you fail, right. if you fall flat on your face, Learn don't it. get discouraged. Yeah. Stand up, look behind you, look at what happened, look at what went wrong, and fix it with the next thing you write. Yeah, yeah. take it as a learning experience. Mm -hmm. Know that these things are potential problems. Know that you know Dan had his eyes too big and wrote several things, and Dan, you eventually decided, I don't even really want to write these. You were yeah. just writing it because that's what you figured fantasy was. Well, yeah, I, I grew up reading epics, and that's kind of what I thought I wanted, and I, with every book, tried to do something different and eventually found something that just fit me a lot better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with me, I, I wanted to do epics all along, but I needed to learn to write standalone stories first and be able to do those really well before I could go on to writing the epic because if, if I, you can't make that story by itself in that first book excellent, no one's going to read the third and fourth and seventh and eighth book that turned it into the epic. Yep. All right. Um, Howard, why don't you give us a writing prompt this time? Um, okay. Uh, Take a look at, well, boy, do I dare send people out to the internet for an epic win. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, take Google epic win okay. and take one of these, one of the, the images that you see with epic win. They're mostly pretty clean from yeah. what I've seen. Take one of these Lean. epic win images yeah. and try to actually craft an epic story around that image. Great. That's a great idea. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.